morning as we come into this place, as we see the people around us that are hurting, or perhaps even ourselves, what seems we seem to be so helpless, that, Lord, we know that we can bring whatever it is that we are facing or our loved ones to you, our children, our grandchildren. And I pray that you would just bless our hearts. Help us to remember that we want to be free from distractions this morning. We want to be settled in our seats with our ringers off our phones. And, Lord, we want to hear from you. As, Lord, we just come to you and study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we know that as we open up the chapter that it was Jesus that took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on the mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, probably Mount Hermon in Israel. And as they are there, Jesus is transfigured, that is, his glory being magnified, manifested, as he began to shine. And, and we know that the disciples initially were sleeping, but then they woke up and they, they saw a glimpse of Jesus in his glorified state. And he's also there talking to Moses and Elijah. And, and what they were discussing, the Gospels tell us, is that they were discussing what Jesus is going to accomplish at Jerusalem. He had just told his disciples down at the base of the mountain at Caesarea Philippi, that I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the elders, and they're going to put me to death, but I'm going to rise again after three days. And we know that as Peter saw that, that he said, it is good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And the cloud overshadowed them, and the voice of the Father was heard, that this is my beloved Son, hear him. And we know that they were overwhelmed, and they fell on their faces. And as Peter was corrected, he was still talking when the voice of the Father was heard. That it was the father saying, don't put my son on the same level as Moses and Elijah. You see, Peter, just down at the base of the mountain, had gave his confession that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Christus. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Your name is above all other names. You're not on the same level as the prophets. But you came, as Moses represents the law, and Elijah, the prophet, you came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And we know that as they were overwhelmed on their faces, greatly afraid, that Jesus came over and touched them. And then they looked up. And remember we read that they saw only Jesus. And I want to remind you of something. That when we're overwhelmed in life. And as we're just, our hearts are just heavy. That you look to Jesus and keep looking to him. Even as we're going to learn that this morning in the vignette that we are reading. That we are to take those that we love and ourselves to Jesus. Because he is one that desires to work in our lives. So here is Jesus, Peter, James, and John. They're coming down from the mountain. They're coming down to the valley. And as we read, Matthew says there was a multitude. Mark and Luke tell us there was a great multitude that met him. And in that multitude was the nine disciples that were not with Jesus up on the mountain. And we know that as they're there, they're trying to help this father. This father seeing Jesus come, that he makes a beeline when he saw Jesus. And he says, my son, Luke says, it was his only son. That there is a demon present. Mark and Luke makes that very clear. A spirit that seizes the son of this man. And as Jesus comes down to the mountain to this scene, here is this man and he's crying out to the Lord. He's saying, Lord, help me. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't help. Will you please help me? In that crowd was the religious leaders. 
the religious leaders, we were told in Mark's gospel, were disputing with the disciples. And I think that in that, that, that included them putting the disciples down and criticizing them because they seemed powerless to help this boy. They were probably enjoying the fact that the disciples could not cast out this demon. Matter of fact, Mark's narrative tells us that Jesus, when he came down from the mountain, that he went right to those religious leaders, those scribes, and he said, what it is, what is it that you're talking to my disciples about? He wasn't happy. I think that Jesus was upset about what they were doing because they were probably more concerned about proving the disciples wrong or putting them down than this man who was hurting and grieving over the state of his son. And I pray that we individually and we as a church corporately, that we would never be like that. That we just have this critical, cynical spirit and always finding fault and pointing a finger and all of this to where we miss the opportunity to minister to people that are all around us that are hurting. Luke tells us concerning this, this only son of this father that's coming to Jesus, he says that the demon seizes him suddenly, or the King James taketh him. He foams at the mouth and bruises him. Mark tells us that he gnashes his teeth and the boy becomes rigid. Matthew here, we read that he falls into the fire and the water and is severely suffering. Imagine how hopeless this father feels. We think about how hopeless we can feel, how helpless we can feel whenever the influences that Satan has on one of our children, on our grandchildren, on the people around us that are linked to us in our lives. There is such heartbreak in this father, just as there is heartbreak in some of you parents, grandparents, some of you that are here over your children, your grandchildren, over somebody that is very dear and close to you because you see the effects of Satan in their lives, how he's gotten a foothold into their lives. We know that the scriptures tell us that Satan, he seeks to destroy, that he is a liar, that he's a murderer and a thief from the beginning. The word of God tells us that he's a master deceiver, deceiving so many people. And he is working overtime especially on our young people today. So many young people that are falling into the lies of the world and to the deception of the enemy. Paul writing to the Corinthians, he said, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices, deceiving them to pursue the world, to pursue that which is wrong, that which will hurt them, to sin and carnality, to pursue that which they think is going to make them happy and free, and it ends up causing bondage and deception, despair, and a sense of hopelessness. During the morning services, there will be about 15 teenagers that will commit suicide in our nation. 50% of high school, school seniors have abused a drug of some kind. 30% of kids have drank alcohol by the 8th grade. 75% of high schoolers have used alcohol. 64% of teens have used prescription painkillers. During this last year, during the pandemic, that we've seen over a 100% increase in teenagers that are seeking mental health professionals because they desire to hurt themselves. I heard a statistic this week 
that teenagers are 10 times more likely to die of suicide than the pandemic itself. And you see, our kids have been isolated. They, they feel lonely. More kids are running away from home than ever before. They are lost. And they're wondering, is, is this what this world is all about? Is there more? And things don't make sense. And they're confused. I came to your disciples. But they couldn't help. Interesting, because earlier, as they went out two by two, that we know that they came back and they were excited. And they said, the demons were subject to us, and now they can't help. And here's this man, as he comes to Jesus, and he says, please help me, my son, my only son. He's foaming at the mouth. He's throwing himself down violently, trying to, this demon, destroy him in the fire, trying to drown him. And in verse 17, then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. And then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And verse 20 tells us that Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you that if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, a couple things that we want to look at as we have a few minutes reading this vignette recorded in the Synoptic Gospels. That first of all, Mark's Gospel tells us that not only did the disciples have a problem with unbelief, but, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, but also the father of this demonized boy did too. And the father comes to Jesus in the other account of Mark telling us that if you can do anything, please, he pleads with Jesus, have compassion on us, help us. And Jesus responded by saying, if you can't believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And the father came. Mark tells us, with tears in his eyes, and he's weeping. And he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And that father was given a simple, honest answer where his heart was at. And Jesus gently challenges him and says, if you only believe, or if you only will believe, you see, not only in a God who can, but in a God who will. And you see, it reminds me so much of what that man that was full of leprosy that we read earlier in Matthew's gospel, that he came to Jesus. He was full of leprosy, and he cried out to the Lord, and he said, Lord, if you're willing, please cleanse me. And the Lord, it says, with those compassionate hands, reached out and touched him and said, yes, I am willing. And that man immediately was cleansed. And you see, this man here is, is he did a very beautiful thing. He would just cast his doubts upon the Lord. He says that I believe, but there is unbelief in the honesty of his heart, in the honesty of his weakness. He cast himself to the Lord, and the Lord is showing them something that we need to understand as well. You see, when we face those hopeless, just impossible situations, I want to land on the side of faith. I want to land on the side of belief. And I want to plant myself there. But I become one that my faith becomes weak. I become one that I can say, Lord, I believe. But, but there's unbelief. 
Lord, do you even care? Lord, do you see me, the hurt? Do you see what's going on with my kids? Is your compassion real? Are you willing to help in this situation? I do believe, but I know that there is unbelief. And Lord, you help me to believe. And you see, we learned this morning that that kind of faith is small, but it's like a grain of a mustard seed that is able to move mountains. You've heard the faith teachers on TV, and they come along, and they say, you just got to have more faith, and you've got to have greater faith, and, and all of this. And the more faith you have, then nothing's impossible. Here Jesus says, you can have faith the size of a mustard seed. It's the smallest of seeds, and you can move mountains. And the moment that he said those words, the moment that he cast himself in his weakness back on the Lord, that's all that the Lord wanted. And the Lord spoke the words, and his son was delivered, and his son was freed. And also as we read this account, Mark tells us that when Jesus rebuked the spirit to come out of the boy, that the demon convulsed the boy greatly and very severely to where the boy just became as dead. To where the people were coming and saying, hey, the boy is dead. But Jesus went over to the boy and picked him up by his hand and gave him to his father. I want you to always remember this. And particularly you young people, always remember this. What Satan does, what living for the world does, living to just please your flesh and for yourself, remember this, that Satan and the world will leave you for dead it will leave you for dead first samuel chapter 30 many of you know the story david and his mighty men they had been running from saul for years they end up in ziglag that's actually in philistine country and they're there and they would go out on these excursions and one time david and his mighty men are out and the amalekites come the amalekites come and they burn down all the homes take their wives, their children, their possessions, and take them away captive. And David and his mighty men, they come back, and they see the smoke, and their homes are burnt, their wives are gone, their children are gone, all that they had is gone. And it says that they lifted their eyes, and they wept so greatly. They were so greatly distressed, we read, that they couldn't even weep anymore. And it tells us that David strengthened himself in the Lord. And as he went to the Lord, the Lord said, David, you and your guys, you strap on your swords and you go up and get your family. And so he pursued the Amalekites. Now the Amalekites, they are the ones in the Old Testament that they would sneak up on the rear of the children of Israel and they would pick off those who were in the rear. And they were ones that were cruel to the children of Israel. Matter of fact, it was some years before this that in 1 Samuel chapter 15 that the Lord told Saul, the first king of Israel, that you need to go and pursue the Amalekites and wipe them out. And Saul, he goes to battle, he comes back, he's got Agai, the king of the Amalekites, he's got the sheep and the oxen, and, and, and there he's celebrating, and he comes to Samuel the prophet, and he said, I did all that the Lord commanded me to do. And Samuel said, oh yeah? That what's then the bowing of sheep in my ears? And who's this? Agai. And apparently, as Saul had saved Agai, he'd saved some of the Amalekites. 
And the Lord, of course, would say through the prophet Samuel that Saul, God has rejected you because you disobeyed him. And it's better to obey than the sacrifice. And the kingdom's going to be given over to another. That is a man after God's own heart. That would be David. Interesting. The Amalekites are a picture of the flesh in the Old Testament. It would be years later, right after this incident that I'm talking about in 1 Samuel chapter 30, the last chapter in 1 Samuel, that it is Saul and his sons that go to war against the Philistines. And Saul dies in battle, and he is killed by an Amalekite. Here's the thing, folks. You can have an attitude like Saul... The Lord says, I want you to get rid of the Amalekites in your life. And you say, well, I just want to have this one egg guy. I just want to have this one tendency. So I have a little problem with looking at pornography. So I have a little carnality going out and doing some drinking. So, you know, I do a little bit of drugs. I have a little bit of carnality. It's not a big deal. I'll tell you what, it is a big deal. Because eventually it will end up wiping you out and doing you in. So David goes after the Amalekites. On the way, he finds an Egyptian that had been serving the Amalekites that was left for dead by the Amalekites. And David gave him some food and water, and he was revived. And it shows us, and it tells us something, that Satan and the world, because Egypt is a picture of the world, the flesh, if you live after the flesh, it will just leave you for dead. And the son of David wants to give you living water. He's the bread of life that comes from heaven to where you won't thirst and hunger again. He will restore you and strengthen you, refresh you. He wants to save you. And this boy here in Matthew chapter 17, probably a teenager, we don't know how old he was, was touched and restored by Jesus. Now concerning the disciples... Jesus comes down from the mountain. The father comes to Jesus, pleased with him. Your disciples say, tried to help, but they can't. Can you help? And Jesus says, yes, I can. But can you just give me a minute? I need to go over and talk to these guys over here. And he goes over and he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. Pretty harsh words. Now, was he talking to the disciples? Was he talking to the religious leaders? Or was he talking to the multitude, or was he talking to all of them? But just a little side note, he says, faithless and perverse generation. It's always in that order. Will you remember that? Because any nation in any generation that becomes faithless, perversity is going to follow. We see that in the book of Judges. They did what was right in their own sight. That's the theme. They did what was right in their own eyes. Is the theme of the book of Judges. And it went from bad to worse. And we see that it became more perverse as the book of Judges continues on. It's terrible stories that we read at the end of the book of Judges. And any generation and any nation that forsakes the Lord and becomes faithless, that you're going to see perversity that's going to follow. And that's why I'm very concerned for our nation. That's what we're seeing all around us. And it reminds me that we need to be praying for our nation. And I am convinced with all of my heart, listen, that the hope for this nation is a spiritual awakening. And we need to be praying as Christians for our community, for our state, and for this nation. I see the things that are going on and what's being talked about. And I think, have we lost our minds? Are we really talking about those things? 
And it concerns me as it concerns you. So we need to be praying. We need to be seeking the Lord. And, and we need to pray, Lord, please, may there be a spiritual revival that happens in our land that it might heal our nation. So here he says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. In other words, you have no faith. You're faithless. Jesus said you couldn't cast out the demon because of unbelief. And they probably saw this situation, those nine disciples, this boy convulsing. He's throwing himself in the fire. He's foaming at the mouth. And they thought this is hopeless. And they probably had a lot of fear. Because that's what hopeless situations bring. It brings fear. And we think it's so hopeless, and I feel so helpless. And it takes our faith away from him who can work in all situations through God. With God, nothing is impossible. Even as the Lord declared to Jeremiah, nothing's too difficult for me, Jeremiah. Oh, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, you can move mountains. Because you see, fear and doubt makes the mountain that becomes an obstacle. And trust and faith in God and Jesus is what moves it. Here is Jesus and his three disciples coming down from the mountain. That mountaintop experience. Peter wrote about it at the end of his life in 2 Peter. As he said, we saw the Lord in his majesty up on that mountain. We heard the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved son. And he goes on and he speaks about But no scripture is of private interpretation. The sure prophetic word of God. But as they came down, it's good for us to be here. I'm sure that they come down to the valley and and those three guys are thinking, man, I wish we would have stayed up there on the mountain. It was glorious. It was wonderful. But they had to come down the mountain. And Jesus is showing them something and he desires to remind us of something. That he is Lord not only on the mountain, but he is Lord in the valley. And in 1 Kings chapter 20, Israel defeated the Syrians. And the Syrians assembled to fight against Israel again. And they said, well, you know, their God is the God of the hills. Their God is the God of the mountains. So we'll attack them in the valley. We'll attack them there. And they did. And they were defeated again. And sometimes in our hearts, we can say that, Lord, you're in control when everything is going well. Lord, you're there when I'm on the mountaintop and it's glorious and I see your majesty and everything's going great and I want to stay here. But we have to come down from the mountaintop experience. And we come down to the valley. And when I find myself in the valley... When it's a very painful time. When your child is hurting and troubled. And you're standing outside your child's bedroom door and you're hearing them weep for hours. When you say, my marriage is falling apart. My loved one is near death. And I am so overwhelmed. You feel like David did out there in the wilderness as he would say in Psalm 61 that, Lord, I cry out to you and my heart is overwhelmed. At the end of the world, when you feel like that, at the ends of the earth, David writes, I cry to you. 
When we are in the lowest points of our lives, the valleys, and we're overwhelmed and afraid, know this. Always remember this, that he's not only the Lord of the mountain, he's still Lord in the valley and only believe. And the Lord comes down from the mountain to the valley and he walks into this scene to help a father that was hopeless. And you see, religion didn't help him. The religious leaders didn't help him. The disciples couldn't even help him. But Jesus did. Bring the boy to me. And maybe you have a child, a grandchild, somebody you love, that they're really going through it, and Satan is beating them up and trying to destroy them and pulling them into the world. You bring them to Jesus. I know that. And it can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming for us when we're going through difficulties and trials. It can be overwhelming when we see those that we love that are going through it. And sometimes it is just so much and it feels so, you feel so helpless. And I know for me, there have been times where I think, Lord, as I hear the stories all day long and I pray with people, and I hear it on the radio, and I pray with them. And sometimes there are days where I have to take the long way home. And I stop and I say, Lord, how do, what do I say? How do I help them? And I know this, that I bring them to Jesus. And I know that he is a God of compassion, and he desires the work. And only believe. And if you're here this morning and you're just overwhelmed with the circumstances and you're in the deepest, darkest valley, know this, that he's there with you. And only believe. And he's a God that can. And he loves you and he desires to work. And as Jesus the disciples come to him and say, why couldn't we cast them out? He said something interesting. He said, this kind comes out with prayer and fasting. And these guys may be thinking, what do you mean come out with prayer and fasting? We didn't have time to pray and fast. This kid's running around and he's throwing himself in the fire and he's, you know, he, we're trying to put it out and he's throwing himself in the water. He's foaming at the mouth and, and we didn't have time to pray. And besides, how come we don't get to go up on the mountain? You know, how come it's always Peter, James, and John? How come it's those three guys? I'm not going to pray. Matthew, you going to pray? No, I'm not going to pray. I'm kind of sore right now. What do you mean this comes out prayer and fasting? And sometimes when we're overwhelmed with things and, and we think and we look at others and say, why are they being blessed? How come I'm not? How come my kids aren't? Why can't we move forward? You ever felt that way? What the Lord was saying is that you need to have a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. And as we are continually going before him, but presenting our loved ones to him, remember this, that up on the mountain when they were overwhelmed, they looked up and they saw only Jesus. And here this father was told, bring your son to me. You must bring him to me. We bring our loved ones to Jesus. And we continue to be steadfast in praying and seeking God. I've lifestyle doing that so when the devilish activity comes along, you can speak a word of faith because you've been in the word, receiving from the Lord. You've been praying and seeking God all along, which are things we do to maintain and build our faith, keep building upon the solid rock, Jesus Christ.
So when the storms come, you'll be able to stand. It's a fight out there, isn't it? You might be thinking here, well, you know, everything's cool with my kids. Everything's fine. Everything's cool. You keep praying. Because I know this, that the enemy's going to come after them. And it's going to try to pull them into the world. You remember Job chapter 1? That Job got up and he sacrificed on behalf of each one of his kids a burnt offering. That wasn't an easy thing to do. To fillet a bowl, you know, uh, for each one of his kids rising up early to do that, lest they sin against God. We cannot, as parents, as grandparents, even as Christians, as we see what's going on with people all around us, that we can't say about our children, well, everything's fine. I hope everything's good as they grow up. You better do more than hope. Be praying for them, be praying over them. You give them Jesus, you bring them to Jesus, and you keep praying because the enemy is going to come after them. He's coming after our young people at a greater degree than I've ever seen. Of our young generation that is feeling so hopeless and in despair and isolated. That's one of the reasons that we've opened it up to the children's ministry. We've opened it up to the youth since last summer. Because they're feeling isolated. They need to be loved and cared for. And given the word of God. So be praying for them. And we need to be ones to be reminded as parents. We know this that we need to sacrifice some time to be praying for them, to get up early, be praying for them, be praying over them. And we need to be seeking the Lord because we know that it's a battle. You know, 500 years after David, you know, went and, by the way, they would pursue the Amalekites and got their family back. But 500 years after that, here comes Nehemiah after the Babylonian captivity. And Nehemiah, as he's there and they're building a wall around Jerusalem, the people said, this is too hard. There's rubble all around. We can't do this. And Nehemiah, he stands up. I love it. In Nehemiah chapter 4. And he says, listen, fight. He said, fight. God is great and awesome. Fight for your wives and fight for your sons and your daughters and for your brethren. So Calvary Chapel, we need to keep fighting because there are times where we think, I'm just going to give up. I can't do this. There's too much rubble all around me. Everything's falling apart. And we need to keep fighting the good fight of the Spirit and know that God is great and awesome. You keep fighting for your marriage. You fight for your sons, your daughters, for your brethren. Keep fighting. And that's what I'm going to do. Because there are times where I go home and I think, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm so wore out. I'm tired. And I'm reminded, listen, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and good courage. Joshua, you're going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Be strong and good courage. And then the people came to Joshua and they said, Joshua, we're going to follow you. We'll do what you tell us to do. We'll, we'll, we'll heed you like we did Moses. But there's one thing that we do ask of you, and that is you be strong and good courage. And listen, there are people in your life, children, grandchildren, those that you love all around you, that they need you and me to be strong and good courage. And we can't do it on, 
on our own strength. We need to go to the Lord, cry out to the Lord, depend on the Lord, to look to Him. Don't quit, folks. Don't quit. It's a battle out there. It's not a playground. I don't know how bad things are going to get. But things are, may get very worse as we get closer to the return of the Lord. So let's keep fighting the good fight of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's keep praying. Praying for your kids. Let's keep loving one another, receiving them, caring for them. Because the Lord wants to save. He's mighty to save. And he wants to save those that we care. He wants to help. He has compassion and he sees. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this time that we've had in your word. And Lord, it reminds me so much of our desire, our need to really be pressing in and praying for our children, our grandchildren, for those who are linked to us in our lives that we love very much. Because we know that Satan is working overtime, deceiving, destroying, putting them in bondage. We can't be lazy spiritually. We need to be about the Word of God, growing in faith, building upon the rock, looking to you, Lord. And in those times where we're overwhelmed, that we would say as David, when my heart is overwhelmed, from the ends of the earth, I will cry out to you, O Lord. Do you be with those right now who kids are hurting, who are out there in the world, who are under the effects and the influence of Satan in the world? Lord, help us. Help them to come home. To come home to you. Lord, I pray that when we're overwhelmed, finding ourselves in the valley, to know that you're still there. And you want to work. And we can cast our doubts and our fears and our unbelief on you, Lord. To know not only that you can, but you desire to work. Father, I just pray if there's anyone here that you've never come to Christ, listen. We're about ready to go to the communion table. The communion table is for anyone who's a believer, not just whoever belongs to this church, but the believer who remembers what Jesus did. So if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, he is your salvation. He's your hope. He's everything that you need. Will you come to him? He died on the cross for you, for your sins. He rose again. He is Lord. He's at the right hand of the Father. And he says, come, to be forgiven, to have the hope of eternal life and right relationship with the Father. Because Jesus is the only one that can save. It isn't a church. It isn't a pastor. It's Jesus alone. And you coming in faith and recognizing your need to be forgiven and to ask him to be your Lord and Savior personally. You can do that. If that means anything to anyone here right now, that you can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. Forgive me. You rose again. You're speaking to me. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for the hope that you give me of eternal life. I thank you for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God. In Jesus' name.
And for all of us now as we come to the communion table, Lord, that we would just continue to look to you, to give thanks to you, to remember that you allowed your body to be broken, your blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.